0: Greetings and welcome to another episode of the Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast series. Podcast episodes are available on VHHA.com and on popular podcasting hosting sites and apps including Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Pandora, and others. Episodes of the podcast also air each Saturday at noon and Sunday at 10 a.m. on 100.5 FM, 92.7 FM, and 8.20 a.m. across Central Virginia. Send any questions, comments, or feedback to pcfpodcast@vhha.com. at VHHA.com. That's pcfpodcast at vhj.com. Today, we're excited to be joined by Dr. James Stone, an award-winning UVA associate professor and researcher who is part of a fascinating new project with the U.S. military examining how exposure to artillery busts affects the brains of soldiers. We'll be talking about that project, his work, and more. But first, welcome to the program, Dr. Stone.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here.
0: And we're glad to have you. Uh, as I understand, your clinical work involves minimally invasive image-guided procedures to help patients with vascular issues, and that traumatic brain injury is one focus of the research work you do. To start, can you tell us about the overlap between those two areas of specialization? I think a layperson might perceive them as a distinctive type of medicine, but in point of fact, the vascular damage is often related to brain injury.
1: Yeah, a- absolutely. So, uh, my clinical work is, um, somewhat distinct from, from my research. I am a vascular and interventional radiologist. I do image guided procedures throughout the body, um, really using the vasculature, um, as a route in order to be able to do therapies in a more of a non-invasive fashion. So, you know, a procedure that someone would have required surgery for, um, some years ago can now be done helping to use the body's vasculature as a guide in order to be able to get to the, the area that you'd like to treat. The vasculature is um, also very relevant in traumatic brain injury, and it's particularly relevant within our, our military service members as well. We're learning more and more that BLAST can uh, affect the vasculature uh, in a way that it can start to break down some of the boundaries between the blood vessels and between the brain, and that can set up a whole cascade of consequences that can have a significant impact on a uh, service member's overall quality of life.
0: Thank you for that explanation. And now we're going to turn oh, sure. to your research work uh, that you just mentioned at UVA, where you guys are partnering with the U.S. Navy and National Institutes of Health to create a model on how regular exposure to blasts affects the brains of military personnel, and particularly soldiers who, uh, quote, breach, end quote, buildings. Over the years, soldiers impacted by the disorientation of battle have been described as being shell-shocked or suffering from PTSD or... Having TBI depending on individual circumstances. Um, To help frame the subject for our listeners, kind of, what are the clinical differentiations between those categorizations?
1: So it's interesting because there can oftentimes be a disconnect between what a clinician may be seeing in terms of. The symptoms that, that an individual patient is uh, presenting and what the mechanisms may be underlying those, those symptoms. And so, you know, the, the, the body and the patient has basically a limited repertoire of the number of ways that it can express or provide a signal that there's something wrong. And so um, there can oftentimes be distinct underlying biological reasons for shared symptoms that you may see from one condition to another. And so, you know, a a really good example of that is what you brought up um, in terms of, you know, the the bell round issue that's been described in in previous uh, military conflict. And um, historically, that has been a term, you know, shell shock included uh, to describe this just overall observation that folks who were in military conflict and, you know, out on uh, operational activities may have these uh, vague neurological symptoms that, um, at least historically, we couldn't quite put our finger on in terms of understanding exactly um, what uh, may be going on there. And so there's been a lot of research that's been done um, uh, really over, I would say, over the last 15 years or so, uh, particularly following the current armed conflicts that started in, in the early part of the 2000s in order to better understand what the overall features of, of the military environment uh, could contribute to some of those clinical observations. Um, and what we're learning more and more is that in addition to the sort of classical things that you would expect that may cause a a traumatic brain injury, such as being in a motor vehicle accident or perhaps being uh, struck on the head with some object, uh, we're starting to learn that an explosion itself can actually interact with the brain in a way that it can contribute to some of these symptoms that you may see across a, a number of different categories. And so in the work that we've been doing, We've really been trying to understand the overall contribution of blast as an occupational hazard. So we know that if you are next to a significant explosion, uh, such as if you're in a vehicle and you're exposed to a roadside bomb, um, or if you're in close proximity to an explosion, that that event into and of itself can have an immediate impact on your overall symptom complex that you may manifest with, and and you know can basically manifest as as, as an injury, a brain injury. What we've been really trying to get our understanding around, and what is the focus of of um, some of the work that we've done, uh, even going back to 2007, 2008, and and now is the subject of this. Most recent effort that we're working on with artillery service members is to understand the blast as, as basically a day to day, um, everyday environmental risk. Um, you can compare it to, um, uh, considerations that a radiation worker may have. So, you know, uh, in my clinical work as an interventional radiologist, you know, getting exposed to radiation, uh, a, um, x-ray technologist, uh, someone who may work in a nuclear medicine department. Uh, a radiation oncologist, um, uh, and even someone who may, you know, work in a nuclear power plant or, or other areas, we have a reasonable understanding of what the overall cause and effect may be between radiation exposure and between what it might mean for an individual's health or their risk of developing um, adverse outcomes. And it's starting to look like blast may have uh, a, a similar overall contribution. That. Yes, the big individual exposure is meaningful and significant, but these, it's these little exposures as well um, that you might get through breaching. So, you know, using explosives to gain entry into hardened structures, using uh, shoulder mounted weapons, uh, you know, being around heavy artillery. Um, and, um, being around, you know, doing road clearance, being around roadside bombs and, and so on and so forth as a part of just sort of, you know, clearing the roadway and and detonating those explosives in a a controlled fashion that those day to day exposures over a career may actually accumulate. Um, and, uh, as a service member uh, progresses on with their career, that it may manifest in some of these symptoms that we sort of classically associate with, uh, with traumatic brain injury, such as, uh, difficulties with, with short-term memory or um, headaches or mood changes and, and, you know, some of these other things that, again, sort of fit into that category of sort of, you know, the, the body's uh, manifestation of, of a, a, a neurologic symptom complex.
0: Sure. Well, thank you so much for that explanation. Uh, that's super informative. And, I mean, I'm already learning things I didn't know. So, um Now with that background, uh, as I read, this project is built off a study that involved you and uh, some colleagues uh, and is grant funded by the DOD. What can you tell us about the people who will be evaluated, what we already know and hope to learn, which you kind of already touched on, and how these findings might be applied in the future as it relates to the effects of artillery blasts on the brain?
1: Absolutely. So a lot of this foundation of the work uh, comes from what we've learned from the breaching communities. And so back in 2006, 2007, uh, we started working with uh, a group in Quantico, Virginia at the uh, Marine Corps base there um, that are involved in both receiving instruction and providing instruction for um, how to do breaching activities out in the field. And so again, as we alluded to, uh, a breaching activity is basically using explosives in order to be able to get fast entry into a building. It may be using explosives to a door to basically defeat that door, uh, even using large Larger charges to uh, get directly across a concrete wall or or perhaps through a roof as well. And through this work that we've done with the service members in Quantico and then through some follow-on work based upon our initial um, findings from the Quantico study, looking at breachers that are a little bit further on in their career versus individuals that were matched to those breachers based on age and, and other values, we started to begin to see this phenomena of there being neurological changes. Uh, that we're seeing across a spectrum of of uh different markers including imaging um fluid biomarkers and and others that basically distinguished um uh, individuals who engaged in a in a lifelong uh, or career long activity of breaching um uh from uh the the control group and so you know we've sort of defined the the contrast here um, between you know an individual that or a group of individuals that are further on in their career and those that have not had exposure to blast over their career. And now what we're really interested in doing is extending that out to other populations such as individuals that work with um, artillery, uh, which you know similar to breaching, it involves what we call blast overpressure. So it involves the creation of a of a shock wave. Uh, the contrast between breachers and between artillery service members is that with artillery, um, you may have many, many more exposures um, over a career just um, because of the function of how artillery is used um, versus how these explosives for breaching are used. And so this new project basically allows us to be able to extend some of our findings uh, in the breaching communities to um, the artillery communities. Um, and we've learned enough about the single breaching communities to construct this particular study in a way that we're hoping to not just define the contrast, but to also start to define some of those gray areas in between to start narrowing in on a threshold of exposure. And so that really is sort of the key here is not just ident- identifying is there an issue? But identifying when along the spectrum of an individual's career, do you start to develop those issues? And armed with that information, uh, we can start providing information back to our, our partners in the operational communities to help them with their decision making around uh, policies related to how individual service members are exposed last over their careers.
0: Well, that is fascinating. And thank you so much for walking us through all of that. And now that we've covered that, Dr. Stone, I just have a few other questions for you to kind of give listeners a bit of a sense of who you are beyond the work you do. And that first question is, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given?
1: You know, I, I have to say that a lot of the wisdom that I've received um, over the years has really come from my graduate school advisor, who you know I, I have a tremendous amount of respect for. It's uh, uh, John Pavlishok at Virginia Commonwealth University, is a wonderful individual. And uh, the the one thing that he said to me that really sort of stuck with me is luck benefits the prepared mind. Um, and so you know, a lot of us sort of you know. As we take, you know, one step in front of the other, sort of following paths that we uh, like to pursue and, and oftentimes having unexpected things cross our paths, um, those things that can seem beneficial or lucky um, are most beneficial to those individuals who are prepared to, to receive that good fortune when it comes to them.
0: All right. And this is an entirely imaginary premise, but in the hypothetical scenario that you could anticipate your final day on Earth, what would your last meal be?
1: You know, I, I uh, have a an affinity for the far southern food, so I, I love uh, Latino Mexican food. Okay. Um, so it would be uh, it would probably be a be a meal at, at at a Mexican restaurant.
0: Oh, I like that. All right, okay. And what is the top item on your bucket list?
1: So the top item on my bucket list would be to. Uh, Hike as many of the paths as, as possible in Glacier National Park. Um, I, I love uh, Montana. I, I love the Rocky Mountain up in those areas. Um, and I, I think that Glacier is, you know, one of the real jewels of the country. And just uh, getting up there and spending time sort of meandering the paths up there. It's really sort sure to of top on my list.
0: Yeah, that, I mean, I've never been to Montana. That's actually traveling to all 50 states it's on my bucket list, but I have heard such beautiful things about it and how gorgeous it is as a as a location, and I would love to go someday. And finally, if you were stranded on a deserted island, what one book, one album, and one movie would you take with you to keep yourself company? We'll go ahead and spot you a copy of the religious text of your choice. So other than that, what are your three entertainment survival kit picks?
1: So, I'll start with music first, because that's a real uh, affinity for me. I have always been a fan of uh, Rachmaninoff. I I would say that I would bring an album with Rachmaninoff's uh, piano concertos. In terms of of movies, I've always been a fan of C.S. Lewis, and and uh, there's a movie that was made a number, a number of years ago called Shadowlands um, that sort of described his life. I manage somehow. Don't worry about me.
0: No, oh, I think it can be better than that. I think it can be better than just managing. What I'm what I'm trying to say is that. The pain then is part of the happiness now.
1: And that was uh, great. You know what I'd like to have with me. And in terms of books, that is very challenging. Um, And this may be sort of an odd response, but I do like at times sort of reviewing catalogs of uh, various entities that are are in the heavens. And so I I'd say that. I'd probably bring an astronomical atlas with me just so if I uh, was sort of trapped on a deserted island, presumably it would be in an area with low light pollution that I'd be able to kind of look up at the heavens and and be able to name those things that I'm I'm seeing over me in in what would hopefully be uh, one clear night after another.
0: Well, that sounds nice. That sounds very nice. I like that answer a lot. And that brings us to the close of another episode of Virginia Hospital and Healthcare Association's Patients Come First podcast. If you liked what you heard, please make sure to leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and subscribe so you know when new episodes are released. And thanks again to our guest, Dr. James Stone, for joining us today.
1: Thank you for having me. Appreciate it.